Today we're going to look at Matthew chapter 27, verses 62 through the end of the chapter. It may seem like a strange passage to read on Easter Sunday, but hopefully you will capture it and understand it as we go along. Matthew chapter 27, beginning with verse 62, and I'm going to ask that you be attentive to those who are around you and help them navigate their way to Matthew chapter 27, verse 62. As most of us are aware, this is Easter Sunday. The entire previous week has been known as the week of Christ's Passion. It's when he arrived in Jerusalem. He celebrated Passover uh, with his disciples. He was betrayed. He was arrested. He was beaten. He was tried. He was abandoned. And finally, he was crucified and buried. The passage we are about to read takes place immediately after he was buried. Matthew chapter 27, verse 62. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal, steal him away and tell the people he is risen from the dead. Then the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. And so sets up the scene of the greatest fraud the world has ever seen. Father, we come as those who benefit from what the world perceives to be a massive hoax, a massive April Fool's joke, a massive fraud. We come as those who have been made alive together with your son, Jesus, who by your spirit rose from the dead. We gather as those who know to be real what our world mocks as a joke. And so, Father, we are aware that by your spirit, we need your help. Father, to see your word, to hear your word, to believe your word, to be changed by your word. And so as your children in Jesus, we ask that you will do that now. For we pray it in Jesus. Amen. Three 10th grade boys walk into a science lab. Exactly, it sounds like the beginning of a really 
bad April Fool's joke. So here's the riddle that goes along with it. What do you get when you place 10th grade boys in a science lab with a balloon and peppermint oil? A really big mess. And I wish that I could tell you that this comes out of a pastor's book of 1001 jokes with which to start a sermon, but it doesn't. It's real life. It's the story that a 10th grader that I love dearly told me. I love more than one 10th grader. So they were in science, he and his friend, and one of his friends, his name is, um, well, we're just going to call him Jake. We're going to call him Jake. He lives in the area. He's a good guy. But Jake finds himself often in a heap of trouble. The science experiment, to be honest, the kids can't tell you what it was that they were supposed to learn. All they knew was what happened that day. Exactly. They sat down and there was a balloon and there was peppermint oil. And the idea was you were to pour a little bit of the peppermint oil in the balloon and then blow the balloon up. Keep blowing, Jake! And then you turn around, and all of a sudden you hear, pop! And peppermint oil is everywhere. Whoa! That is warm! Whoa! I got it everywhere! Oh, it's in my eyes! I gotta rub my eyes! Whoa! That's warm! I can't see! I can't see nothing! What have you done now, Jake? Science experiments, peppermint oil, exploding balloons, and 10th grade boys. Not a good combination. But, but we love that story, don't we? Isn't that a great story? And one of the reasons I love that story is because I find myself in that situation so often. I find myself making a mess of my life, making a mess of my family, making a mess of the world in which I live in. It hurts. It burns or... As our friend Jake would say, it's warm! And we grieve and we groan and we cry out. This is what we just read in Psalm 94. We heard the psalmist saying, repay the proud. We heard the psalmist grieving. How long, O Lord, 
We hear the song, psalmist saying, be careful, he sees, he hears, he will act. Psalm 94, the world is a mess and the world hurts. Here at Chattanooga Valley Presbyterian Church over the last week, we've had a season of lamenting the mess in which we live, the mess of the world in which we live. We have lamented loss. We have lamented children and neighbors who are not walking with the Lord. We have lamented adults who have wandered from the faith. We have lamented lamented suffering, both physical suffering and emotional suffering. We have lamented the distorting and twisted love that we experience. We have lamented arrogance and stubbornness and fragmentation. We've lamented miscarriages, untimely deaths. Losses of jobs. We have lamented school shootings, church shootings, university shootings. We have lamented racial injustice and prejudice in our world. We have lamented the agonies of Syria and Rwanda, just to name a couple. We have lamented the effects of hurricanes and earthquakes and landslides and tornadoes. We have lamented for the brokenhearted for the abused, the oppressed, and those who are trafficked. In case you didn't know, our world's in a mess. And for some of you, you may know better than others, our lives are in a mess. It's just a mess. But here's the thing. It may be a mess, but darn it, it's our mess. Don't mess with our mess. It may be our mess, but I know where everything is. How many of you have heard your teenagers say that? I got the clean pile, and I got the dirty pile, and I got the, well, it doesn't smell pile. (laughs) Not that I know any teenagers who are like that. Don't mess with our mess. It may not be much, but it's all we got. And it's my mess. I know how to live in it. I know how to manage it. And darn it, I'm the king of my mess. There is something of that going on in our passage here today. Because the last week has been a week for the Pharisees in which this thing that they've been trying to put the lid on has been threatening at every turn to spin wildly out of control. The crowds have welcomed Jesus like he's some sort of Messiah or something. Like like God himself had had given him to the people to rescue them from their oppressors and their sin. Hundreds of thousands of people welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem. Guys, we got to get a lid on this thing. This is going to spin out of control. And then if that weren't enough, here he comes waltzing into the temple as if he owned the place. And he and he chased out all the tax, all the money changers. Who does this guy think he is? It's bad enough the crowds think he's the Messiah. Does he think he's the Messiah? Oh man, this is a mess. 
We have got to get a lid on this thing. And then, in the passage immediately before, we read, When it was evening, there came a man, a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate, the civil authority in Jerusalem, appointed by Rome, and asked for the body of Jesus, and Pilate ordered it be given to him. you got to be kidding me, the Pharisees would say. It's all we can do to try to get a lid on this thing. And now you give his body to the disciples. Do you not know what they're going to do with that? He said he was going to rise again on the third day. Pilate, give us a break. We've got to get a handle on this mess. This passage, 62 through 66, is an amazingly succinct way that Matthew has of capturing the intensity of the problem. Because it is packed with strange, mind-bending ironies. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, which is... The Sabbath day, right? The chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate, the civil magistrate. The language there of gathered is a formal called meeting with an agenda. And said, sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive that after three days I will rise. Therefore, we act. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure. It's interesting, isn't it? In Matthew's account, it's Jesus' enemies that remember the promise of the resurrection. Isn't that ironic? It's Jesus' enemies who say, who ha, he ha, Matthew has it on the lips of Jesus' enemies, saying, he has risen from the dead. It's his enemies who say it first. How ironic is that? And Jesus' enemies not only remember it, but they believe it as is demonstrated by the fact that they call this meeting in order to take action. What's interesting also is this. The ESV reads in verse 63, Sir, we remember how that imposter said. The word there translated sir is used throughout Matthew's gospel and it is most often translated Lord. Now Lord is a, was a common greeting and it could mean sir and so that's a fair translation. However, in Matthew's gospel, it is only ever used to refer to Jesus or in the parables to the figures that represent Jesus. And here, it is used on the lips of Jesus' enemies to call Pilate Lord. 
Matthew is hinting in his very subtle way at what John makes more explicit in John chapter 19 when he has the Pharisees declare, we have no king but Caesar. The irony is thick. What's even more interesting, or what is also interesting, is that these are the very people who throughout this gospel have taken Jesus to task and rebuked him repeatedly for his violations, real and imagined, of the Sabbath day. And yet, these are the very ones who, on the Sabbath day, are ordering a formal meeting with a civil magistrate to take care of business. It's a profound violation of the Sabbath day. The very religious leaders known for believing and teaching and defending the resurrection also here now are making plans. They're doing all in their power and more besides to ensure that the resurrection does not happen. It would seem that if they had spent so much energy teaching, believing and teaching and defending the resurrection, that they would want to see it happen. But they do not want to see it happen. They want to keep him from rising. Because while the mess may be a mountain, it is their mountain. And they're in charge. And if Jesus rises from the dead, their mountain's gone. But also notice this interesting little irony. Pilate said, verse 65, Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. It can also be translated that here, take my guard of soldiers. So here they are, have them, take them. Go and make it as secure as you can. There's some debate about whether the guard was the temple guard that was under the control of the, of the um, chief priests and Pharisees themselves anyway, or if it was a special contingent that is, was under Pilate's authority. But then he says this, and the question, is the, is, the question among commentators is, how are we to uh, intone this expression? Go, make it as secure as you can. Many commentators, and I think I might agree with them, many commentators suggest that he's saying, fine, go ahead, have at it, knock yourself out. I'm done with this thing. And in any case, I suspect that maybe my wife was right. If he is who he says he is, there's nothing you can do to secure that grave. So go ahead, knock yourself out. What, what exactly he meant, who knows? But he says, go ahead, make it as secure as you can. Might be a hint of belief. But this little, this little scene in verses 62 through 66 appears only in Matthew. does not appear in the other uh, three Gospels. It appears only in Matthew, and it leads, that leads some commentators to say that the passage is not authentic. It didn't really happen. It's just an invention of Matthew. But you see, one, that robs Matthew of the honor due to his artistry, because Matthew is very skilled at what he is doing. But secondly, 
And more importantly, it misses the sweet, succinct way in which the scene captures all the key conflicts between Jesus and the various religious and civil authorities, and it tucks them into this little snapshot. We have the Sabbath, we have the resurrection, we have the question of who's really in charge, who really has power to execute and enforce their will. This scene captures it all. It captures all the myriad shenanigans and related to those various conflicts by which the spirit of our age has been resisting Jesus at every turn, opposing Jesus at every turn, seeking to do away with Jesus at every turn. This scene represents the last best hope of the spirit of our age to secure the continuing shenanigans of their own fraud to shut down what they perceive to be a fraud. It's as though the Pharisees, the chief priests, are coming to to Pilate and they're saying to him, they're offering him this, this pretend respect. Oh, sir, we remember. And if he rises from the dead, it's not going to be good for you or for us. Let's join our agendas at this one moment against this, our common enemy. Which brings us to the greatest irony in the passage. The very ones who embody and perpetuate the great fraud by which the spirit of our age is blinding us and binding us are the very ones so intent on on exposing and undoing the supposed fraud of Jesus and his disciples that they, in fact, ensure the destruction of their own fraud and the exposure of Christ's reality. The fraud that they're going to expose and undo is their own. Because in their desperate attempt to secure their place in this world, they reveal with certainty the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. Look, if you have your Bibles open, turn over one page to chapter 28, verse 11. While they were going, that is, the women who had come on the first day of the week, behold, some of the guard who had been appointed, remember, went into the city and told the chief priests all that had happened. Wouldn't it have been grand to be a fly on the wall in that meeting? Um, Sirs, we have a Tiny problem. Um, your plan didn't work. What? Um, well, you see, it's kind of like this. We were all standing there. Standing guard, and there was this huge earthquake, 
and the stone rolled away. And there was this really strong and really bright guy there. And we were scared, well, to death. So you're telling me that Jesus ain't there? Um, yes, yes, yes. So, they quickly assembled with the elders and they took counsel and they gathered up a sufficient sum of money for the soldiers. That had to have been a lot of money. And tell the people, get this, here, get this. Get the irony. Matthew is having so much fun with this story. Tell the people that his disciples came and stole him away. Um, isn't that the lie you wanted us to prevent? Yeah, but it's better than the truth. You have to understand the extreme dangers that the soldiers found themselves in when they went to report what had happened. Of course, it's going to be hard for anyone to believe their story. The more likely story is that the soldiers had fallen asleep. No matter how you cut it, the soldiers had failed in their assignment. And in that day and in that age and in that army... That, that meant, at best, a dishonorable discharge. At worst, it meant death for dereliction of duty. They were in a tight spot. You talk about the mess gotten getting worse. The mess just got worse. And what's even more is just like us, who rather than admit the truth, we just pile lie upon lie upon lie because we want to maintain the control of our mess. Tell them that the body was stolen. But the body wasn't stolen. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid. <laughs> yeah, right. For I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. What? What's happened to him? For he has risen. As he said. So come and see the place where he lay. 
Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he, had risen, that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly. <laughs> Can you imagine how quickly they departed? Their feet would not have moved near fast enough. I have no doubt they were stumbling all over themselves with this crazy, overwhelming mix of fear and joy and excitement and wonder. What in the world has happened here? We have got to get to the brothers. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! They came up and took hold of his feet and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, do not be afraid, but go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. You see, it's not that the body was stolen, but it's that the body rose. Everything that went into the grave came out of the grave. And when Jesus meets the women in the garden and says, greetings, it's as though he is saying, now it is finished. Now all their shenanigans are brought to an end. All other shenanigans are exposed. They're done for. Nauke has a friend. We'll call him Jake. Jake, he likes to tease. And being 10th grade boys, they like to tease him back. Every once in a while, Jake gets fed up with all the shenanigans. And you can hear him throughout the school saying, That is it, Mr. Gilchrist? I am finished with your shenanigans. That's what Matthew has been showing us. That's what Matthew has been showing us. He's been showing us all the shenanigans of the spirit of this age that have been trying to thwart the plans and the purposes of Jesus. Even getting to the point of crucifying him on the cross. And he rose from the dead and he walks out and he says, That is it, Mr. Enemy. I am finished with your shenanigans. You see, because of balloons sometimes burst and have peppermint oil and we get ourselves in a mess and it is good to know that our God has heard and our God has acted. Our God has raised Jesus from the dead and he has said, it is finished. I am done with your shenanigans. It is over. It is finished. No more of your deceits. No more of your schemes. No more of your shenanigans. No more of your tears. It is done. It is finished. You are finished. Your fraud is finished. 
Your petty kingdoms of this world are finished. Come, cast your crowns, real and imagined, at my feet. I am done with your shenanigans. You see, have you ever wondered, did you wonder as we were reading the Psalms earlier, how do we get from the, from the sadness and the lamenting of Psalm 94 to the singing and the praising and the dancing and the feasting of Psalm 95? You get there because the steadfast love of the Lord that raised Jesus from the dead that says, I am done with these shenanigans. I have heard your cries. I have heard the cries of your heart. And I have acted and I am done. I am done with the shenanigans of my enemy that oppresses my people. You see, as Leslie Newbigin says, man can never by his own power or will extricate himself from the grip of sin. Only God can extricate him. Only God has done it. For the resurrection of Jesus has shown the power of God over the huge mess that we've made of things. The resurrection of Jesus shows by the power of God He has acted to rescue us from that mess. To clean up our mess. Here's the point. Make no mistake about it. If Christ rose from the dead, the biggest disaster we all find ourselves in and which we all spend hours and millions trying to resist if Christ actually physically rose from the dead, then all bets are off. For the resurrection irreversibly changes our calculations. It changes the way we feel and think and speak and act. If Jesus rose from the dead, then the world as we know it is finished. The world, the mess as we know it is done. It is over. It is foundationally changed. That which appears strong is now rendered weak and powerless. That which appears wise to us is now exposed as utter foolishness. You see, this is, what the precise, is precisely what the Pharisees feared would happen. If Jesus is risen from the dead, then all of our games and all of our shenanigans are over. This is what John Updike writes. Make no mistake. Listen on this Easter Sunday. Make no mistake. If he rose at all, it was his body. If the cell's dissolution did not reverse, the molecules re-knit, the amino acids rekindle, the church will fail. Let us not mock God with mere metaphor, analogy, sidestepping transcendence, making of the event a parable, a sign painted in the fading credulity of earlier ages. But let us by faith walk through the door. Because by the resurrection of Jesus, he is making all things new. Brothers and sisters, N.T. Wright tells us Easter is about the wild delight of God's creative and redemptive power. It's about the real Jesus coming out of the real tomb and getting God's real creation underway. 
Is it any wonder that people find it hard to believe in the resurrection if we ourselves don't throw our hats in the air? This is our greatest day. We should be shouting. We should be singing. We should be dancing. We should be feasting. And all the world should be saying, what in the world are you celebrating? We're celebrating that it is finished, that he is done with the world's shenanigans, and he is making all things new. So let us praise and live in his name. Father God, we come and we pray.